listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Well, tonight I have the privilege of kicking off uh, a new series for us here at the Living Room that we are calling Alcatraz. And uh, here's the reality for the next couple of weeks, we are going to be talking about the things that feel and seem inescapable. The things that feel and seem inescapable in our lives. And the truth is, I don't think any of you would take that long to figure out, hey, what are some of those things in your world? And just for, you know, just to be silly and we kind of go a little lighthearted, there might be some things that you feel like inescapable, you know, like that are, it's just hard to escape from, that you feel trapped in, that's maybe leather to your, uh, tethered to your personality, uh, maybe perception that people have of you, maybe your reputation. So if we keep it light, what I'm talking about is, hey, maybe for some of you, there is a, um, there is a reputation that you're not, you're not great at dating. That maybe for some of you out in the crowd, like you're just Johnny, one date and one date done because like you're just a little awkward on dates and, and you just can't help it. And so you, you keep going out with people and they, they, they respond by like, hey, no thanks, it's not going to go to date number two. And you're like, hey, did you ask Sophia? Like, did you ask Janet? Um, I'm not sure people at 2020 are named Janet, but... Um, why, why would she not go out with me again? And well, it's because, you know, you're awkward. And then you hear that again. And then you hear that again. And next thing you know, you're just like, man, I cannot escape from the fact that people think I'm so awkward. and I don't have a great personality. Um, so maybe for you, hey, maybe, maybe it's you're, you're messy and you've been messy all your life. Your friends, your family have told you that. If you get in your car, it's basically a dumpster fire on wheels. Um, maybe your dorm room, your apartment is just trashed. And a lot of your friends know that. And so when they hear like, oh, hey, you know, David's driving. Or, oh, whoa, okay, well, you better wear a gas mask, a hazmat suit, whatever. You know, it's like, oh, hey, we're going to go hang out over at Julie's house. Oh, wait, what, you're going to Julie's? Oh, she does not even know what dust is. You know, like, so anyways, you might have people that are like, why do, why do people just think I'm messy? You know, like I cleaned my apartment like a year ago. And so, again, you have some of those things in a silly way that follows you that you just can't escape from. One recently for, for my wife and I, um, my bride, Ellen, uh, also a fantastic living room leader. Uh, she's here somewhere in the building. And, oh, there she is right there. Um, hello, boo. Uh, we have three boys who we love. And, and most recently, our oldest, Jackson, who's 10, gave us the nickname in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru as the drive through Divas. And we're like, what? Why is that? And well, a lot of the times, what we apparently order, they're like, hey, could you pull up? Um, and I don't know if it's just com complicated or they're just taking a hard time, even though Chick-fil-A is the best. And uh, so I'm like, well, it can't be me because I normally order something generic. I order an eight-count grilled nugget, fruit cup, but it has to be strawberries and oranges only. All right. I'm going to get a large Arnold Palmer, but I will not order it that way. I will say half sweet tea, half lemonade, and I will say that multiple times with light ice. I will take four Chick-fil-A sauces and then sometimes, hey, a milkshake. And could you put the Cool Whip on the bottom, the regular shape on the top? Just kidding. I don't do that part. Uh, I'm not psycho. Uh, but here's the thing. So apparently we just, we're that way and we're divas in what we order. And Ellen's laughing because she knows. And so our boys just bring that up constantly. And I feel like we just can't escape the fact that we're just going to be divas when we order through the drive-thru. Now, I know that's silly. 
But the reality is there are things that are significant in my life and in your life, in the deep, dark corners of your mind and your heart and your soul that you really don't want to confess, that you really don't want to open up and share with people, that you feel like, I, I'm trapped. I cannot escape from this. No matter how far you run, no matter how much life you live, how hard you try, something has a hold of you and you feel entangled by it, trapped by it for so long that you're just like, oh, whatever, I'm going to give up because this thing seems to be inescapable. And you try things, you're like, maybe if I do this, or maybe if I try that, and you do it and do it and do it, and nothing works, and you just can't seem to escape from it. And so that's why I thought, hey, this would be an appropriate um, series to call Alcatraz. And, and um, I know some of you need a, another history lesson on prisons, Shawshank. Um, just kidding, inside joke. Um, but here's a, just a real quick thing around Alcatraz. We know that it's one of the most notorious prisons, you know, ever the most infamous prisons in the United States of America, but it didn't, already start, it didn't always start out that way. Back in the late 19th century, uh, it was actually a military garrison, all right, for the Civil War until 1934. And about that time, the U.S. Department of Justice took it over and transformed it into a high-security prison. And maybe you've heard of Alcatraz through history, through social studies, maybe even through movies. You're like, hey, yeah, isn't it kind of called The Rock? And don't they send like the notorious people there? Yes, they would then kind of send all of the men and women who were like the who's who, the notorious criminals back in the day to Alcatraz because they thought, hey, this is kind of a last resort prison for those who had no hope of rehabilitation. Some of their famous people were things like uh, guys like Whitey Bulger. I don't know if you've heard of that guy. Maybe you've seen the movie Black Mass, um, and I don't know if you can find that on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Johnny Depp played his character, just this crazy gangster FBI informant, but he was there. Maybe some of you have heard Al Capone and his story, um, the mob boss, also known as public enemy number one. Uh, he had a nickname named Scarface. Um, anybody see the movie Scarface? Yeah, just a few of you admit that. Yeah, I would highly recommend you never seeing that movie, okay? Um, no, but Scarface played by uh, Al Pacino and just this crazy mobster type of a life. And so they put all of these human beings there at this prison because those officials in the part of the U.S. Department of Justice was like, hey, we're going to deem this facility as escape proof. None of these people will ever get out. And a lot of them tried okay, uh, and, and failed. So here we have this prison, this Alcatraz, an inescapable place. And here's the thing. I think if we were honest, there's some parts of our lives that we, we feel that way, like it's an inescapable prison. And whether you're a Jesus follower or not, I think we feel trapped in some of the areas where we don't feel hope from. And so I just wanted to kind of kick us off with a, uh, with a question that, that makes a lot of sense is, hey, where or what in your life have you deemed inescapable? And I'm not, I'm not talking about the silliness of like the dating thing, examples that I threw out, the drive through divas that I just can't escape the fact that my son is always going to call me a diva when I order at Chick-fil-A. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about what are those things, again, that you're just, you know, deep down that you're wrestling with, that it's a struggle internally. And you've been going through it uh, maybe for some time and you just feel like it's inescapable. Maybe for some of you, it's your, it's your past. And somewhere along the line in your past, 
you said something or, or did something to someone, even yourself, and you carry an inescapable amount of regret. Hey, maybe for some of you, it's, it's when you think about this, hey, I'm trapped, I feel like it's inescapable. Maybe you think of a certain like sin or struggle or, or a habit that you keep trying to stop and over and over again, hey, I'm gonna quit tomorrow. Hey, I'm gonna quit this weekend. And next thing you know, it just, it, it comes back up. And uh, honestly, when I was your age, which was just a few years ago, um, one of the biggest struggles for me that I felt like I could not es- uh, escape from was, was lust. And I was trying to be a Jesus follower at the age of 17, and then I would go in college, and I would struggle with lust, and I'd be like, hey, I'm not going to look at pornography. No. People who love Jesus know that that's not God's best. Um, they, people that know or are aware of what that is is just a false imitation of what, what God has made to be real and, and enjoyed in the confines of, of a marriage relationship. Hey, I'm not going to get on porn because, man, what, how awful is that and a detriment to women? In general, I'm not going to do that. But you know what? Honestly, I would look at it, and then I wouldn't for like a couple of weeks. And I thought, hey, I'm over it. And then I would look at it again. It would pop back up. And it was something that was definitely inescapable for me. So maybe for some of you, it's something not maybe from your past or maybe sin, or maybe it's secret-related, secret-related. That's something that you, that you did or were a part of. Maybe you were a third party. That something happened that you think about pretty regularly and you are so embarrassed by it that if it were to come out in the open, that if your closest friends or your family members or even kind of acquaintances, if they found that out, that you were a part of that or you were a big player and that whole thing that went down, that you feel like your life would be over. So some of you are like, I am going to the grave with this secret. And when that happens, it's like you're isolating yourself from being fully known and trapped on an island of guilt and shame. Same thing for me. I'm I'm trying not to let lust ruin my life uh, when I was in college. And I'm trying to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. And I'm like, oh, not doing this, oh, not doing that. And then all of a sudden, I would have a one-night stand with a woman randomly at a, at, a, at a wedding. And here I am, Johnny Christian, all right, guy who's trying to proclaim the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus, and I was. But yet, somehow, I fell into this trap, and I had sex with this woman, one-night stand. And do you know the amount of shame and guilt that ridiculed me? Because I was like, there's no way I'm going to tell my friends in my small group. There's no way I'm going to tell some people who think, well, Ryan's just a really good Christian guy, you know. There's no way I'm going to do that. And so I kept that within and did not tell anybody until like, I mean, months down the road. So maybe for you, again, it's, it's a secret that you feel like you can't escape from. Lastly, maybe it's, it's the critics in your, vo- uh, excuse me, in your world, that you're paying attention uh, to the, just the approval of others. So many voices in your head just worshiping what people are saying about you or what they're not saying about you. And you, you're, you're just so worried and you're wondering about the approval of, of, of other people that you, you sit there and you're like, man, I just really hope that I live up to my parents' standards. Hey, maybe I'm just so curious to know what, what my siblings are saying. Hey, I'm really curious to know what my fraternity brother, my sorority sister, my roommate, my friend, my small group member, all of, all of those people in your life are just like, I am so highly, 
highly curious about their approval of me, and it's kind of like you just can't escape it. Your past, your sin, your secrets, your credits, your approval of others. And so if you didn't find yourself in there, I hope that sometime through this series over the next few weeks that you would figure out that answer to that question. Because we want you to identify that thing or those things. Because I want this series to really allow you to talk about the messy parts of your life and the broken parts of your hearts. And I don't want you to shy away from the real and the honest and the authentic things going on and the difficult conversations that you might have with your friends or your small groups. This series, I want us to lean in together because a life where you feel trapped isn't the life that Jesus died to give you. A life where you feel trapped isn't the life Jesus died to give you. Jesus said many things that were captured by some of his friends by way of eyewitness testimony. You can read all sorts of things about he and his life and his journey and the stories that he told and the miracles that he made. I would encourage you to crack open this crazy thing called the Bible and get him both Old and New Testament. But the one thing that he said in his New Testament through one of his friends and followers, John. In John 10, 10, you might be aware he talks about, hey, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Jesus came to give you life, a fulfilling life, a life where you are free free from a past that wants to hold you back, free from the power of sin that lurks over our lives, free from the shame of the secrets that we're holding, that we're afraid to let out, and free from the voice of critics who want to hold us down. Friends, please, please, please hear me. You simply cannot step into that fullness of life that he is offering us, if you're not walking in freedom, if you're in your own personal Alcatraz. And so essentially that's what this series is about, stepping into the reality that whatever you think is inescapable, Jesus has already set you free from. And so tonight I wanna focus on one verse. I wanna make it simple. And it's a verse that the Apostle Paul shares with us, and he's trying to share and convince this church um, in Galatia, these Galatians, of some of these truths. Let me give you a little context, okay, leading up before chapter 5. All right, Paul is, or, uh, Paul is just trying to figure out, hey, the, there, there seems to be a debate, a lifestyle debate, a tug of war between basically living under the law versus living under grace. Because the law back then, the Mosaic law, check this out, was a list of 613 commandments. Not one or two, not 10, 613 commandments that you had to keep in order to have right standing with God. Now, I don't know the household that you grow up in. Maybe you had a few rules from your parents or your guardians. Maybe you had like 10 or 20 and you're like, mom, pump the brakes. You're strangling me with all these rules. Welcome to 613. Rules and laws to have right standing with God. And Paul is starting to kind of try to remind the Galatians up to this point that no one could ever live up to these laws. And so therefore, they had to offer a living sacrifice. 
It's like you're hanging out with your roommates, and it's like, uh-oh, we violated this, ro- this law. <sighs> well, Timmy, Timmy, it's been real. Um, and you, you sacrifice a living you know, being, a creature, an animal. No one could ever live up to it. And Paul is trying to get us to remind, uh, remind the Galatians, Jesus fulfilled the perfect standard of the law, and then he died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. So we're not saved by a work of the law, but by a work of grace. So that's just a little bit of context before we get into what he says, this powerful uh, verse that I think is very simple, but has profound implications over this idea of being um, trapped in things in our life that we deem to be inescapable. This is what Paul says. We're going to put it on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can track along as well. Galatians 5.1, here's the first part. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The Galatians weren't living free, okay? The Galatians were drifting away slowly from grace and allowing themselves to be enslaved by this performance, these performance standards of the law that were impossible to keep. And here's the thing, you might be somebody under this tent tonight. You might know somebody in your world, in your sphere of influence, that at one point placed their faith in Jesus, and then they walked away. That could be your story or somebody else's, and there is a great likelihood, it's one of the reasons why a lot of people walk away from the faith is because they, then they start to think that it's all about rules, and they're surrounded by highly judgmental Christians who are saying, hey, you got to do X, Y, and Z 24-7. So the Galatians were trending again, drifting away from grace. And Paul is again trying to remind us this freedom is a byproduct of grace. This freedom is not a byproduct of doing all of these rules, abiding by all of these laws that we can never do. No, no, no. The, the, The freedom is a byproduct of grace. Sometimes um, when, when we're in conversation about this, on a rare occasion, somebody's like, hey, can you, can you explain to me definition? I hear, I hear uh, freedom of Christ. I hear freedom in Christ. What does that really mean? And so here, I think, is a great definition based on what little I know um, of all of the scholars in the scholarship and when they study the scriptures. But I think this is a great definition of the freedom of Christ, The freedom of Christ is really living free of anything or anyone that holds you back from experiencing the grace of God. Living free of anything or anyone that holds you back from experiencing the grace of God. Friends, I need to let you know that some of the things that held me back from the grace of God in my life have been extremely judgmental, hypocritical Christians. That's my story. That might not be yours. But don't just be fooled to think, oh, oh, well, is he just talking about people who are a little crazy or far from God or don't have a relationship with Jesus? It's like, oh, well, no, he says, hey, living free of anything or anyone that holds you back from experiencing the grace of God, there might be people in your life that are like, hey, you, you know, gosh, you shouldn't have done that. 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 
And they're just barrading you with basically like, hey, you got to follow all of these laws and commands to be in right standing with God. But I don't think that's the definition. The verse goes on. Paul says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Essentially, don't unnecessarily be enslaved to something Jesus has already set you free from. There is a fantastic verse, again, by Paul in Romans 8.1, that says, therefore, now, for those of that are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who have placed their life, their hope, and their trust in Jesus. You are found innocent of an accusation, and there isn't a guilty version. And some of us who have placed our faith in Jesus walk around feeling guilty because of something that happened yesterday or over the weekend or two months ago or whatever, and we can't escape it. I'm here to tell you, don't unnecessarily be enslaved to something Jesus has already set you free He's not condemning you for that, for what he's done. Paul is saying, hey, stand firm in the grace Jesus won for you. And I love that imagery there, burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The law was often described as a burden and a heavy yoke. And the description there, when you study it, is basically, you know, right now when we kind of look at farms, the majority of farms are, you know, tilled or, you know, people are, are, are using their crops and trying to grow their crops through machinery, and unearthing the lawn, uh, unearthing the ground so they can plant stuff and grow things. Well, back then and during this time, you had two oxens most of the time pulling kind of a, a, a till to till up the ground. And what they would put on these two oxens that would stay together is this yoke. So just imagine this giant, heavy, like football shoulder pads for two oxen that was ridiculously heavy and then pulling this thing. That's the imagery there that the law that they are trying to figure out, hey, is this really the way to right standing with God is just extremely burdensome and heavy. And I think, again, if we, we, we were honest and we kind of took an inward snapshot, many of us find ourselves somewhere here. Not really free and far from experiencing this full life that Jesus is offering. We feel that something is inescapable, inescapable, but we've, uh, what we've labeled inescapable, Jesus really hasn't. There's a, um, a story that, um, this is an incredible story that a, a friend of mine shared with me recently. True story kind of happening at the end of World War II. And essentially, the, the Germans had, you know, as you know, probably uh, had a ton of concentration camps, uh, prison camps, um, tons of prisoners of war that they would torture and um, obviously uh, physically abuse, emotionally abuse. It was terrible. And I'm not going to get into the details of that, but th here's where the story comes in. I think this is fascinating. Basically, the Germans are defeated. The war is over. There is this one uh, imprisonment camp where the Germans find out, uh-oh, we've lost. We better get out of here so we don't become prisoners of war ourselves. So what they do with these couple of German soldiers in this battalion, they start to go to all of the prison cells at their camp and unlock it before they peace out. But they did not tell the prisoners that. 
The prisoners that they had been beating and torturing for months, these prisoners that thought, I'll never get out of here. I'll never escape from this. And the crazy thing is that this, this, this army now comes in, the good guys that's going to provide a way out. These, these guys show up after the German soldiers are gone, and they start walking around the facility, and they're like, what? Well, I, I don't see many people. And so they go to this one cell, and they see this prisoner in it, and they're like, "Why? well, goodness, we need to free this guy. And they go to unlock the this, this cell, and they realize, oh, it's already unlocked. So they go to the next one. Same thing, prisoner in there, but yet the door is unlocked. And he's like, what in the world? And then they go to the next one, same kind of thing. And finally, we're, we're heard that this, this, this soldier just stops what he's doing, and he has to scream out, the war is over. You can come out. You are free. You are free. And the reality is, I think it's not too big of a stretch that the Apostle Paul, as well as our Heavenly Father, is wanting to, to just to get our same attention with the things that we feel like are inescapable, to let us know that we are free. Because you'll never experience the fullness Jesus promised to give you if you aren't standing and the freedom Jesus purchased for you. And honestly, as I've read this um, several times the last few weeks, I think what Paul is really trying to boil it down to, what I think our Heavenly Father really wants us to pay attention to, is that the fullness of life is found in the freedom of Christ. There is, this is where grace is. Grace sets you free. Where, where there's a past that holds you captive, there's grace that, that redeems. Where there is a sin or a habit that holds you captive, there's a grace that empowers and strengthens. If there's a secret in your life that you're extraordinarily ashamed of, there is a grace that forgives. And where there's a legalistic mindset that makes your faith seem like a tiresome endeavor, there is a grace that frees. And if there's a person's voice in your life that tirelessly captures your attention, there is a grace saying, I approve of you. I don't care what they think. I approve of you. So Paul again is saying, so stand firm. Stand firm on the foundation of grace. And so it's our hope that throughout this series and in your small groups that we would provide conversations and questions to help you take those steps in discovering how to truly stand firm. And hopefully throughout the course of this series, um, you'll find that nothing is inescapable because not even Alcatraz was. See, a lot of people think that no one ever escaped. Not true. Because on June 11th, 1962, there were three men who executed the most intricate escape plan ever attempted at Alcatraz. And there were a many who tried, okay? There were many who tried to get through the walls, get over the walls, and they would get to the river, or the river, the ocean, in the bay there of San Francisco. They had like a mile and a half to get to land. They might not have made it, and they had a strong undercurrent. They might not have made it because of sharks, true story. They might have made it because of hypothermia, because in that water temperature, it's like 40 to 60 degrees, and anything less than 60 is life-threatening. 
So no one really had made it, but these three dudes listened to this. They started plotting ways because the, the, the walls in the prison started just kind of coming apart a little bit. So they started years in advance of digging these tunnels. Then what they started to do is making these paper mache heads, these masks out of the materials that they found in the prison. They got a bunch of hair. They stole a bunch of hair from the prison barbershop, made like these wigs and these hideous stashes. And they put it in there as a decoy in their bed. So they did that. They get out. They get over the wall and through the wall. And now they're, here's the water. And so the crazy thing is, it was like, hey, Ryan, was there a raft or something there? No. These dudes stole 50-something rain jackets from the prison and made a raft. Crazy story. In fact, two of those individuals are still on America's most wanted list because they haven't been found, dead or alive. And I'm not trying to romanticize uh, them and their escape, but obviously it was doable. And whatever you're facing in this series, we want to give you an escape plan. And the plan of escaping, whatever that is for you, whatever you're facing, begins with that plan that God set in motion before creation before the creation of the world. And it was put in motion when Jesus was born in a manger and it was completed when he died on the cross and rose from the graves. And that plan, the result of it was grace. Now, there is a massive difference. I recognize that as I share some of that about the Alcatraz prisoners. Um, those, there's a difference between us and those guys trying to escape. There's a difference between those fugitives and our own personal Alcatraz. Those dudes were guilty under the law, and justifiably so. But we, you and I, are pardoned by grace. We are blameless under grace. We are made new under grace. We are free under grace. You and I are free. We're free. And so I wanted us to, um, to talk about a few things um, as uh, we have a remainder time here before we go to small group. And that is a lot of times when there is a message shared like this, there, uh, even a few uh, guys recently were like, hey, um, you seem to talk a lot about Jesus at the living room. Um, like, why? Hey, wh who is this Jesus guy? Like, why do you have hope in this Jesus guy? Hey, why do you follow him? Hey, why do some people participate in this thing called church? And so I want to just quickly share with you. Maybe a lot of you, maybe you haven't heard it. Maybe you, you've forgotten it. But it's something that we genuinely believe is the greatest news that we could ever imagine for our lives. See, we believe God is the is the creator. We believe that God is the creator of the earth and everything in it, that he is perfect and that he is holy and he is just and he is righteous and he created man and woman in his image and then he created us to live in perfect harmony with each other and with him. Then our original parents, Adam and Eve, um, stumbled, rebelled against God and therefore unleashing and ushering sin into the world. And because you and I are descendants of Adam and Eve, uh, we were born into that sin. We have participated in this sin. And because we have sin, God looks at us in a completely different light. 
Because we have sin, God can rightly deal with us by giving us the just sentence of being separated from him for forever. But the good news is this. He didn't didn't just leave us to our own devices. Instead, the Son of God entered into our world and became flesh and became Jesus Christ and ultimately lived a blameless and perfect life that we could not And then Jesus would go and he would die on this cross and die the death that we should have received. He was a volunteer. He volunteered his life, not a victim, on our behalf so that we could experience freedom. So Jesus died. And then he's hanging out in that womb for, womb, hmm. He's hanging out in that tomb for three days. And on the third day, He is resurrected by God's amazing spirit. But the cool thing about that is when he is resurrected, he is proven to be the right sacrifice that is acceptable to our Heavenly Father. So sometimes when you hear something like that, I I think there's really only two responses. Two really words come to my mind. And that is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And so I want to give you the opportunity tonight that for some of you, you've never experienced the freedom that comes from a relationship with Jesus. Some of you, maybe you've heard about this um, amazing life, this, you know, this, this abundant life that Jesus talks about in 1010. Not a life that's not, you know, uh, struggle-free that's not super hard. You don't, you're not without pain or confusion. But I want to give the opportunity tonight for you to think about repentance and faith. Repentance is really just, just to turn, to turn your way away, your back from a life disconnected from God. A life where you say, hey, I'm the God, not you. Turning from that. And facing God. And then the faith part of faith is having a hope in the reality that Jesus is the one and only Savior. And so I recognize that, hey, we, we're the start of a semester, that there's a lot of you in this tent who um, maybe you haven't experienced the freedom of Jesus. Maybe you have you felt um, super trapped maybe forever, or a really, 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 really long time. And so I want to, again, provide the opportunity for some of you tonight. There's no pressure to do this. We don't get, like, raises, pay raises, because people place their faith in Jesus. No, you could come to the living room for four or five, six, however many years you're in college, and never believe what we believe. But tonight is a great night and a great opportunity for those of you that you want to experience freedom. You want to experience full life. You want to experience a way out from your past and your sin and your shame. It's through Jesus.